Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Shout out to James, Christopher. <laughs> Why? I'm just super happy he's not co-hosting this episode. <laughs> Agreed. I got to do it this time. So uh, the, the <laughs> argument, I was out of the room, but I just found out about it, was apparently they were uh, arm wrestling um, over uh, intellectually because, you know, um, I'm, stronger, got than, to I'm stronger than both of them. So it just wouldn't have been fair. <laughs> but um, uh, who got to co-host? And it was who prayed with Matthew at boot camp last and Matthew said, I think it was Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and it was awesome. And after the episode, this <laughs> glorious episode, James uh, was able to share with us for us to make repair. That was actually him. But um, uh, remind me what therapy program they went to. Uh, I don't think they did. Uh, remind me about uh, that one church leader that got him all the resources. I don't think they had one. Y'all, recovery can be, the, it's it's simple. It's difficult, but it's it simple. It can be simple. It, it can be. <laughs> I like to make it complicated and muddy the waters. So do other people. Just pure recovery. Pure love. Like, <sighs> preach. Man, we were a mess in this one. It was good. One of my favorite quotes about doing the work, right, and dropping is the World War II journalist, Edward R. Moreau. Um, got it from my sister, Angela. Uh, the obscure we see eventually, the completely obvious, it seems, takes longer. Ooh, and that's I've, good. And I know I've shared this on the podcast before, but if you want the completely obvious of how to work recovery, and I'm going to say the truth of how to work recovery together, which so many couples struggle to do it together, me and Kayla included for sure, um, you and Autumn for years yeah. to do it together to work recovery together. Listen to this. Absolutely, it's good. Oh, it's so good. Okay, we're gonna stop. Wait, it's it. like it's it's like it's like <laughs> leaning over a savory meal. Just eat it. So just listen to the episode. Um, if you need help with a scholarship, uh, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. You are worthy of it. We want to help you get resources for recovery that we found work. Go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate to become an outsider. Um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So those donations fund those scholarships. That's how it works. Um, and you can be an outsider with us. Our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And this bonus content was rich. Um, just going into it. Join us for the bonus content. Become an outsider if you're not already. If you are, we'll see you there. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world judges us and finds us. Social media at Unashamed and Afraid. And with that, we will introduce you to our now good friends who truly love each other. Matthew and Brooklyn. Matthew, what's up? How's it going? Tell us who you have here next to you. I have my beautiful wife, Brooklyn. Woohoo! Hi, Brooklyn. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Um, so uh, this is exciting for me because I feel like, do you guys remember when we talked on the phone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was just so fun. Oh, yeah. So um, just excited to be here and just have you share your story in your hearts. 
Christopher, what's up? I'm here, man. <laughs> the Hulk hope. So, um, to, just to start, like, just kind of paint us some background and context. So, um, Matthew, tell us about growing up for you, what that was like, who God was, all that stuff. All right. So, I grew up in the LDS faith. Um, all of my family members are still active to this day. Um, and I had a great parents, very loving, very kind, very patient. Um, and, um, if it's all right, I'll just go right into Bring you know, it. how the addiction started. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I remember we were hanging out with some neighbor kids and I was probably like, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, maybe even 12, but, um, we were playing on the Wii and we found out we could go to the internet. I and almost thought you were going to say, <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say, I was playing on the Ouija board. <laughs> no. I was like, oh, this got dark fast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're yeah. in, man. Matthew's not man. messing around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they, uh, we went onto the internet and uh, they're like, hey, like, we found this really cool website. Um, it's like YouTube. It was like around when YouTube was starting to get really big. And uh, they're like, yeah, like there's some funny videos. And we're like, okay. So like they gave us the, the URL. We typed it in and it just um pulled up an explicit website and i remember me and my brother we were just in absolute shock and there was really no curiosity about it we knew it was bad and so we immediately turned it off and we got mad at our neighbor kids or friends um and we realized it was just a prank but the images i saw that day kind of sat with me for a couple more years and for a while i was just like oh man that that's what pornography is like it was my first time ever seeing a woman naked. And uh, at first I was disgusted. And then over the years, it just kind of turned more and more into curiosity. And, you know, growing up in the church, they always talk about the dangers of pornography. And just because it was talked about so much, um, I, th I was thinking about it a lot more. And so I remember my brother, um, he gave me his old iPod and... I pulled up the internet and I was just super curious one day and it was the first time I ever uh, sought out pornography. And from that day forward, um, I was hooked. So growing up, who was God for you? Growing up in a religious home, mm -hmm. God was, like as a person, if you were to describe his character, like you'd describe me or Jeremy sitting over here behind you, who was God in your growing up years? Um, like I said, because I had loving parents, I know they say a lot that you kind of put the face of your parents on your heavenly parents. For sure. And so, you know, God to me was always a loving figure. Um, from a young age, I, I felt his love. Um, but because I was putting my parents' face on his, not only were my parents loving and kind, but there was, they weren't very disciplinary. So I associated God with this figure who loves and but there's not a whole lot of discipline so i kind of developed this mindset of you know i shouldn't sin and i'm not going to try to sin but if i do sin there's no it's consequence okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and so that that made the addiction a lot easier as well because i knew like oh if i act out then i can just repent and all is forgiven so what happened for you when you got to right the mission crossroads right you should go but you need mm -hmm. to be worthy so yeah um i was a couple months clean before my meeting with the state president. Um, and 
he sat me down. He's like, you know, a couple months isn't enough. And so I met with a therapist and he kind of gave me some tools to work on. And I was, I was sober that whole time. Looking back now, I was right white knuckling the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really true recovery. And uh, I went on my mission. Um, and about halfway through my mission, I started, I, I first started acting out with masturbation on my mission. And then about halfway through, um, I was working in the office and the temptations were just so great that I snuck down into our mission office because we were sleeping right above it. And um, I just find, tried to Google whatever I could to, to satisfy that desire. And after that, mission got smartphones. And then it just, I found um, shortcuts, ways around their blocks and limits. And, you know, for the whole rest of my mission, I was, I was almost looking at pornography every single day. Yeah. And through some miracle, I was, I was pretty honest with my st- uh, mission present the whole time. And I'm really, really grateful that he kept me out. Because looking back, I think that I needed, I needed to stay out there. Mm-hmm. There, there was a lot I needed to learn. And um, there were so many times I thought I was going to be sent home, but I never was. Mm-hmm. So um, how did you see yourself, you know, your identity at that point in time? Oh, I, frankly, I hated myself. I, you know, I I would go out every single day knowing I had Christ's name on my chest and not feeling worthy to even represent him. Mm -hmm. And every time I would proselyte or teach a lesson, I felt like a hypocrite. And I, I tried to acknowledge early on that, you know, this is the adversary, you know, trying to, to shame me. And, um, I know that I still have worth. Um, but it was still super difficult and most of my mission, I felt like my service wasn't enough just because I was still viewing pornography on my mission. So did you view God differently during that time? Um, because you're doing these things. So you're like, now I can't go to him or I, he doesn't love me. Like, where did you go with that? I still felt loved, but, um, I felt that there was some disappointment not enough to really shame me, but enough to push me to to recovery, um, or at least what my definition of recovery was back then, which was just praying harder, reading more scriptures. <laughs> the try harder gospel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and That's Steve's favorite. Mm-hmm. Don't judge my perfectionism, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, So, Brooklyn, tell us for you, Give us, you know, just so we can kind of get to know you of what were growing up years like. How did you see God? How did you see yourself? Yeah, so I also grew up as a member of the LDS Church. Um, I'm the oldest of seven kids. And my, so my family was a little bit more like, his family was like love, maybe like over law and mine was maybe lost slightly over love, mostly my extended family. Um, my parents are really loving and they're really, um, they've been really good to handle situations and things, but my extended family, there's a lot of shame on both sides, a Mm. lot of shame, very different actually on both sides, but I grew up very conscious of that. And, um, my, 
worth was really based on my achievements. I was like always in presidencies and young women's. I was always singing or playing the piano or the organ in church. I was um, doing really well in school for a long time, just like everything I could to be good enough. And I had a couple cousins that kind of stepped away from the church and, and the family totally just black sheep them immediately and it was like mm. okay cool can't do anything bad yeah. or my family will hate me and so I was I actually really struggled a lot in my teenage years with um not super severe at first but with acting out sexually with boys and all of my worth came from that because mm. like it was the part of me that no one could know about and I was only good enough if someone liked me and I couldn't tell anyone because my, you know, I had these cousins and these family members that had stepped away from the church or not even stepped away from the church, but done things that the done family, the thing, yeah. yeah, done yep. things that the family had deemed not okay. And I was like, I cannot be them or my family won't love me, basically <laughs> my extended mm -hmm. family mostly. Um, so that was really hard. I definitely struggled a lot with, um, you asked who, who was God to me. I feel like I knew that he loved me, but I had a really hard time going to him about hard things because I felt so like my accomplishments were the thing that gave me worth. And so if I wasn't performing exactly the way that everyone thought I was, then I wasn't worth it. And my ward, a lot of the people in my school just thought I was like perfect. I mean, like I said, I was constantly doing things in church. I was the person that answered the question, every question and in classes, I was like, you know, and so I just had this perfect persona that I would try to project to everyone. And I felt like I was awful inside and it was all fake. I was masking really hard. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was <laughs> sort of my growing up of just really struggling with my relationship with God and really feeling like I was a failure that looked perfect. Mm -hmm. It was hard. So when did you run into this guy? When does he come into the story for you? So <laughs> we met the summer after I graduated high school. Um, He's like, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, he totally <laughs> shaking his head like I, that. I robbed the cradle, one <laughs> oh, would say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just take that part out now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, we won't. No. Um, yeah, so we met when I was 18 and he was 22. Were you 22 when we met? Mm. Anyway, 23, maybe. Yeah. Um, and now four years is like nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Back then, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's four years older than you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're on our second kid now. So it's like, <laughs> whatever <laughs> cares. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we met the summer after I graduated high school. Um, we met on Mutual. So <laughs> that's always fun to hey, tell Chris, people. Chris and uh, Christopher and James, those are apps. There's apps now. <laughs> just so, what's, just so what's, what's for some app? of our older audience, Brooklyn, who uh, doesn't know. Okay, very cool. So, uh, hey, uh, you forgot to include Jeremy and Jane in that as well. No, they're cool. They're, they know what's up. <laughs> just talking to you, old, old farts. So, um, what what was it ab about, like, each other that? brought you together well we can take we can stay with you like what was they it got about matched him? up on mutual it said <laughs> don't act like yeah. you know mutual. how it works <laughs> I do. My, my niece was over my house and we were going through and we were swiping for her. uh yeah so i 
had actually just gone through what I feel like was kind of the rock bottom of my own recovery for my sexual sins. I had, um, I had been in a situation, a few, a few situations that had just kept, um, escalating and I just over and over, it was like the thing addicts say, you know, I quit every night before bed and I was so frustrated with myself. Like, why can't I just stop this? And I mean, we could go into a lot. There was a lot of, uh, a lot that went into the most recent situation before I met him. There was some, uh, manipulation and things, but, but I just finally got to a point. I don't even know what it was, but one day for me, I just was like, you know what? I respect myself more than this. And this is not cool. And like, I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. really fully done. I'm never doing this again. And I just, I was like, I want someone who's going to respect me the way that I want to respect myself. And so I, Mm. before we met, I had started going through the repentance process and I, um, just, I, the thing that was different this time, I think, than all the other times I had quote unquote stopped was I wanted to change everything in my life to be closer to the Lord. I just like completely wanted to give myself over to him and I was done. And so I, um, I was in the middle of this pretty deep repentance process and I, everyone who's used mutual is going to die when I say this, but I was like, where do I find like really super good people that have the same views and goals as me totally like, oh, a dating app. <laughs> yeah dating app. that's the place to go for real my sister april <laughs> and brother-in-law brandon met on mutual and they're the freaking best and their marriage is dope it happens mm-hmm. but there's yeah. also and my sister's story is actually mm-hmm. very similar it's third marriage for her mm-hmm. and so it was like where can i find just like a yeah good LDS guy? so to yeah, all those so haters I... out there they're just <laughs> mad because you got yourself a hottie here <laughs> and they didn't who also lives down with jesus yeah, so I, I went to Mutual, and he actually was the only Mutual date that I ever went on. I had one, a few set up. But... One could say she has a 100% success rate. <laughs> uh, mutual. Um, That's so just I... how you roll, right, man? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So I, um, yeah, I think the thing that really drew me to him was like, I just was so, I was at this place in my life where I was like, I'm serious about myself now, and I want to find someone who's serious about me, and serious about themselves and I could really feel that from him he was really confident and um just and we we ended up talking about addiction pretty early on in our dating and things and we can talk so were you acting out during this time when so when you guys first met when I first matched with her was like um the first day from at the time, some of my longest sobriety, but again, looking back, I think it was more white knuckling because yeah. like I found this pretty girl and I do not want to screw it up by telling her that I'm still acting out with this addiction. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't more, I was sober, it was just kind of, I put the addiction on pause and then was kind of hoping that pause button was never gonna mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can insert the part where we all laugh about that. We yeah. Thought marriage is going to fix it. And it yep. doesn't, but mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. He totally yeah, thought yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it about her that, uh, pulled you in? Um, she just, I don't know. She, she loved me like no one else ever had. Um, which was like what? She, 
just the way she talked to me, the way she was vulnerable with me. Um, like she said, we, we talked about addiction pretty early on. I think like we were maybe dating for only a couple of weeks where I disclosed my addiction to her and then she disclosed her past to me and um, just how vulnerable she was with me was was sign enough to me that man this this woman really does want to spend the rest of her life with me and um it made it so much easier to disclose my addiction to her as well and i think that was the big thing is i wasn't afraid to be vulnerable with her she made it a safe place for you mm -hmm. yeah well so first i just i want to touch on this because i just want to name uh you did something that I would have never done in a million freaking years. And so how did you get to the place of being like, yeah, I'm going to disclose what's going on with me while we're dating? It was, it was honestly something I had always told myself and it's something I, I prepared for. I, I told myself early on, mm -hmm. there's a good chance I'm going to be struggling with this by the time I'm married. Hopefully that's not the case, but there's still a good chance. And so I kind of already made the decision early on that I'm going to be upfront and honest. And before, before that, um, I, I was already pretty good about being honest. Uh, like I said, I was, I was pretty open with my stake, uh, with my stake president, with my mission president and even my Bishop leading up to when I met Brooklyn. So I already had some practice, but, but don't get me wrong. It was still nerve wracking because sure. I knew she, there was some stuff that she wanted to tell me. But I was like, there's no way it trumps what yeah. I'm going to tell her. Yeah. Do you feel like having those kind experiences with your parents and those church leaders helped leave that door open for you, to be honest with her, when you met? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It. I feel blessed in the sense that I've never really had a bishop or leader or anyone who I've disclosed my addiction to ever shame me. Um. Everyone who I've been open Which with. This is great. I, that's, I yeah. want everyone's experience right. to be that. Yes. And, uh, and I, I know not everyone's is that. So I'm really grateful that, that that's what mine was. But it definitely made it easy. Um, and, you know, just easier. Just easier. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah it, it wasn't easy, but easier. Just hope you all mm -hmm. hear that out there listening. Just mm -hmm. want to make sure that's mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So, um, so for you, what was that disclosure like? I. So I was so nervous to tell him what I had to tell him that I didn't even care what he was going to tell me. I did. Um, so you also felt like you were holding the trump card. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I don't know. I think because so he told me like, hey, can we go on a drive? There's something I need to tell you. And I said, there's something I need to tell you, too. And I think it was the spirit maybe that was like, it's porn. That's what he's going to tell you. And in my mind, I was like, okay, cool. Um, everyone struggles with that, but at least he hasn't done anything. You like, that was me. <laughs> I was like, I'm so bad. Like, and, yeah. um, so I was just freaking out. I actually had a breakdown after he told me we went back to my house and I like told him I had to get a jacket or something. And I walked into our laundry room and shut the door and just like belly cried and prayed so desperately and i just said like heavenly father i know you can't take his agency away from him and make him date me but please i can't lose him and like when i tell him this he's gonna think i'm the worst and so when he did tell me i was just like cool okay my turn like i did, i couldn't even process it and also 
I was so naive about addiction that I really had no idea what it was and how long of a process it is. And so for me, I was like, okay, cool. He looks at porn. Like we can work through that. But, oh, I got to tell you this stuff that like most guys probably would not ever want to talk to me again if I told them. And so I feel like it was a combination of me being really naive about porn and also my own situation that I was telling him that I just didn't even, I mean, we kind of just glazed over that, you know? Mm -hmm. What makes me sad about what you just talked about is just that, that fear that you had and you were crying so hard about it because you're like, if I tell him this stuff, he can't love me. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people feel that way. If I tell anybody, they're not going to love who I am. They're going to hate me. They're going to, once they know who I am, I mean, those are those faulty core beliefs that, that many of us have had over and over again. If I tell anybody, they're going to hate me. Yeah. Well, no one bought that lie more than you and me. Yeah. I mean, Chris and I hook, line, and sinker on that one. Yep. So. Yeah. I had um, had a family member tell me, this was, they only knew about, like, how many guys I had kissed. They had no idea about, like, sexual experiences at all. But um, I had a f- close family member tell me that, um say they basically just said like do you think that maybe sometimes like in the future a guy won't want to be with you if he knows how many people you've kissed and this was someone that I really looked up to and like and so that was just oh man if they would think that even just based on how many people I've kissed like no one is gonna want me and so that actually caught like I don't want to blame my problems on someone else but that caused this mindset in me yeah of like well, that's all I'm good for now. And so it actually kind of made the problem worse for me at that point because I thought, well, no one good would want me now. So all I have are people who don't respect me because I obviously don't respect myself. And it was rough. I had a lot. I was drowning in shame for years and years. Well, and I think that's a great example of like I often say a lot of shame happens in love, Meaning that like, I think I'm loving you or I think I'm giving you good advice or I'm trying to be like, don't make the same mistakes I did or whatever. Like the intent is for love and connection. But what I'm really doing is shaming. And I I, I can relate to you on on that very thing, actually, because Kayla asked me when we were uh, had just gotten married. We were like having friends over and asked me. She's like, no, but how many people did you kiss in high school in their tank store? And my shame truth, Brooklyn, I don't actually know. Like, I literally don't know the number. I don't either. And so everyone's, everyone's like, oh, ha, like what? Like what? And, and like just this like Autumn shame. makes fun of me because of all the time. Right. But like this shame feeling like everyone's joking around and like people are throwing out these, you know, like I only kissed two boys. Her one friend didn't kiss anyone. Tell her husband, which like power to you. That's great. I'm just saying, you know, and so and, and, and I'm like, oh, no, like I don't. You know, and then this conversation with us after everyone left and she's like, no, but like, come on, really? And she's like, 10? And, and I'm just like, oh, the, like, probably 10 I could think of right now, but like, I don't even know the, re-, you know. And so it just can relate to that, an attempt of love and connection or good advice really being, uh, I mean, big shame, right? Mm-hmm. So y'all did it right compared to some of us guys and disclosed and you got married and happily ever after the rest is history. <laughs> mm. Bonus no. content time. <laughs> no way. <laughs> He's nope. like, mm, mm. nope. Mm. Mm. 
um i guess i'll I'll chime in it it was it definitely a honeymoon stage for the first part but you know our marriage of no of of, of us dating our marriage (laughs) (laughs) we did not have a honeymoon stage no she's like what marriage have you been in (laughs) but uh you know as we were dating the addiction slowly started catching back up and I started acting out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And are you disclosing that to her and letting yeah, her know? Yeah, I'm times? being honest. Okay. Um, but my addiction started to have consequences that I've always heard can happen, but I never thought would ever happen to me. And that was after we got such married. as a lot of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, after we were married, it was okay. Well. You know, Brooklyn's beautiful, but, you know, I bet there are more beautiful girls out there. And On our honeymoon, by the way. On our honeymoon. Like, you're telling her this? I, I definitely Or are you over- thinking this? Well, both, both. It, it started mm-hmm. before we were married with mm-hmm. comments, and then we mm-hmm. went on our honeymoon to Orlando. So there was a lot of mm-hmm. triggering stuff there, and there were it my our honeymoon actually was like the worst week of my life up to that point in my life it was a hell moon well and and (laughs) what i want to name actually is not an uncommon experience sadly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i i thought i had like prepared so much i knew that like when you get married expectations of sex and things like are you know and i i had done all this research and i felt so prepared to like have a realistic situation and that wasn't even like close to what happened because the whole time he was like so depressed and just could hardly even talk because mm-hmm. he was surrounded by women wearing almost no clothes and comparing me to them every second of the day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was there was a while where i was like man is this a sign that you know i shouldn't have married her um mm-hmm. you know is this god telling me that there's someone better and it took me a while, but I eventually realized this is definitely the addiction talking. Um, mm-hmm. And I struggled with it for most of the first year of our marriage. Um, I think the, the big turning point was I was I was starting to even question if I loved her anymore. It was getting that bad. And my brother, he, uh, he took me on a drive and kind of shared that uh, he, had, he, he struggled with pornography here and there. Um, and he, he even told me, you know, when I was dating, um, my wife, I, uh, I had the same thoughts as well. And Mm. I was like, well, what, what did you do? Like, how'd you get over that? And, um, pretty much his answer was to give it time, do all you can to love her as perfectly as you can. And it will overcome the consequences of the addiction and i remember that just really resonated with me it was such a simple answer but the answer i needed to hear and for months afterwards every time i'd get down and pray i would pray that help me to love brooklyn perfectly and every time i would have those compare um those thoughts of comparison i would i would constantly name it as this is my addiction talking this isn't me or the Lord talking. And it eventually got to the point that I cannot see myself spending my life or eternity with anyone else. Um, 
I have definitely felt God heal that aspect of my addiction where whenever I look at Brooklyn, all I see is someone who loves me, someone who I love, someone who I want to share all of the great joys of life with. Um, And yes, those thoughts creep in here and there, but they are gone almost as quick as they show up. And, um, well, and so we have a, 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 a great experience here. Cause you said, when I look at her, this is what I want to say and what I have. And you know, it's, what's actually great is that she's actually here mm-hmm. and you actually could look at her yes, and yes. tell her all of that. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and flip that microphone around. So we all still hear you. Yep. Brooklyn. I just want you to know that first of all, I'm sorry for all of the pain and all of the damage I caused. But I am grateful to the Lord because it was through him that I was able to see you through his eyes. There is no one and I promise you there is no one who I'd ever rather spend my life with than you. Because what I see when I look at you, don't look at me, I'm not interesting. <laughs> what I see when I look at you, that, that's you talking to her. She didn't want to hear oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, She's like waiting for What her. do you see, she, Steve? She, 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 she didn't care what I see. <laughs> What I see when I look at you is someone who's patient, very quick to forgive, and someone who will fight for me just as I fought for you. Love you. I love you too. Man, if you guys could all be here, we're all in here like just tears (laughs) flowing, going everywhere. We can't look at each other because we're all crying. So, uh, Miss Brooklyn, um, based on the emotional affect that you're displaying in this room, uh, sounds like that's been able to, some repair has happened prior to this moment, right? And just reflected now. So how did that experience happen for you? Um, just overall repair in our relationship or? Well, how you went from hell moon to sitting sitting right now. (laughs) It took a really long time. Um, the first few months of our honeymoon were really, or honeymoon, our marriage were really, really, really dark. Um, and I still feel like to this day, the only thing that really kept us married was I, I don't even know how I, realized that I should start doing this but I was praying every night to just love him as perfectly as I could and I was so hard he was really grouchy and really saying some insensitive things and our I I remember thinking in the first few months of our marriage like there's no way marriage is supposed to be this hard there's no way I hear that it's hard but there's no way it's this bad and I would just pour my heart out to the Lord every 
moment that I could, just begging him to let me see Matthew the way that he sees Matthew. Um, and I was blessed to really be, I feel like I was impressed that um, I was just told to work on myself and to just give it time. And we had been to like some addiction classes and things and I kind of knew that theory, but really not. And um, I just basically handed over to the Lord. You hear of putting your burdens at the Lord's feet and I physically felt like I did that. I felt like I took the weight and put it with the Lord and just said, I can't do this right now, but I know that you can. And it was really hard. It was dark, but I just, I really was able to eventually see him the way that the Lord sees him and separate his addiction from him. And I would see glimpses of who he really was. And I, just the thought would come to me like, okay, this is who you married and this is who he's going to be someday. And this is who he is. Mm. And right now we just have this bump in the road that we've got to work through. And it really helped a lot for me to separate him from his addiction because at first it was like, okay, he's not taking the trash out because he looks at porn and like everything Mm. was connected to that, you know? But, um, which is actually so profound because there's so many, I know that there's, there's a lot be, that women go through in that stage where that's all they see is the pornography. He uses pornography or he just has affairs and that they put that label and that's, that's just who he is. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing for who he truly is and who the man he can be and who the man he is, but he just has a struggle that he's dealing with and trying to figure it out himself and trying to, how, trying to figure out how to stop. So it's awesome that you could see him for who he really is. And I'm still not (laughs) great at it. I'm still not perfect at it. But that really helped me when I was really struggling. I would, And multiple times in our marriage, I've sat down and just written down every positive thing I can think about him on a piece of paper. Because I'm like, I don't even want to look at him right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm so hurt, whatever. And so I'll just write down all the good things and it's like, okay, this doesn't make the bad things better, but it does remind me why I'm here. And it does remind me who he can be if he keeps trying, you know? There's so many things that are so parallel to what you were doing that my wife was doing as well, because my wife would say every day, whether she hated me at that day, that day or not, she was sending me five things that she loved about me. And then the praying and and the praying that, you know, how Matthew was praying for you and how he can finally see you for who you are and how he can love you. That's still something that I do for my wife. And and it changes everything with what you guys were both talking about. It changes everything on how you see each other because you can do that in the middle of the anger and the sadness. But you're like, you know what? No, I know I can find some things that I love about this individual. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically just thought like, I, like, it's going to hurt really bad either way what he's going through. And so I can either be miserable and hate him, or I can be miserable and at least like him. <laughs> I did, there were times I was like, I cannot even say I love you right now because I am hurting so bad. I can't even breathe. But 
I want to be able to think that tomorrow I could look at you, you know, <laughs> even if I can't right now. So do you feel like you can look at him right now? Yeah. So turn that microphone a little bit so we stay with you. <laughs> yep. Yep, you got it, Pam. Oh, man. You're perfect. <laughs> Not quite. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so if, with all those efforts and everything you've done, I'm curious what you see now. And you can tell him. You don't need to tell me. I see um I see someone who keeps trying. On the really hard days. And someone who puts our family above your uncomfortable emotions. And I see a selflessness. And a willingness to be uncomfortable to do the right thing after doing the wrong thing, which is way harder than just being perfect the first time. And I see, I see someone who, even though, even though you have a lot of shame, I see someone who's supporting to others about things that you're shameful to yourself about. Which I feel like goes back to that selflessness. You're never your own first priority. Which I think sometimes you should be, but <laughs> I really appreciate how hard life is for you right now and doing the hard things so that you can be better and work harder for our family and work harder for yourself and for God. And I see someone who keeps trying to come closer to the Lord even when you feel like he's not accepting you the way that you want to be accepted. I love you. Love you too. So Matthew... Um, what do you want to tell the guys um, that still have the feelings of resentment of I'm not getting my needs met or comparing or like who still feels stuck who can't see her right they're her their beauty the way God sees her what would you tell those men who are listening right now First of all, I'd say that I'm sorry. It's really hard to look at the one you love the most and see nothing but flaw. But I'd also say, if you want it to work, keep trying. Do everything in your power to love them more and more each day. And I know that that's kind of cliche, but it's true. It's such a simple recipe but it's so effective to just keep trying. And my my form of trying was was to just keep praying and trust the Lord. Yeah. Um, but also, when I looked at Brooklyn, when all of those thoughts kept flooding in, 
to try to first name it as my addiction and then to look at Brooklyn for who she is. And something that helped me as well is on my phone, I kept my most favorite pictures of Brooklyn. And so when those thoughts would come when I wasn't with her, I'd just look at those and just thank God so much for for the woman in my life. And I also want to say that there is definitely hope. I pretty much convinced myself that I'm just going to have to go through this roller coaster all my life. And I'm still on a roller coaster, but not that roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Brooklyn, same question to the women out there that are stuck on, but he's looking at porn or he's so mean or checked out or numbed out or disengaged or who are still in that place, in that darkness you described earlier to the women who are, or, you know, partners that are stuck there. What would you tell them? First thing that I would say is um, to have compassion for yourself because I think even in some of the support groups that I've been, there's a lot of pressure to forgive inhumanly fast. Um, and it's, it's okay to be hurt and angry and it's okay to have boundaries Mm -hmm. too. You can love someone perfectly and not trust them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I just give it time. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure to forgive so quickly and it, you need to heal a little bit before you can forgive um the second thing i would say is just there's a there's a quote from one of our favorite movies the count of monte cristo that um one of the men says i don't believe in god and another man says that's okay he believes in you and i would take that to turn to your husband and like i don't believe that he can fill in the blank, right? That's okay. God believes. And uh, you don't have to believe that he can be perfect someday because God believes and he'll figure it out and you don't have to be responsible for that. Um, and have compassion for yourself in the meantime and work on yourself with healing because the hurt is so real and so intense it's okay to take the time and space that you need before you can, because I know for a lot of people, it's like, I can't even look at my husband, let alone list things I love about him. And that's okay. You know, you don't have to go straight to the honeymoon phase. It's okay to take time. Yeah. Love that. And so if you guys had a song that you feel just represents this, this journey you've been on together, this growth, this connection. There's a song. Um, it's called Irresponsible by Judah and Jay Monty. Um, and if I may, just a little bit about the song. You may. 
Um, Say the song again. So uh, you're irresponsible. And the reason it's called that is if from a worldly perspective, you wanted to pursue a relationship with someone, but they were constantly pushing back and cursing your name and breaking your heart through their choices, any professional would say to cut off that relationship and that any further pursuit would be irresponsible. But that's not what God does. He doesn't cut off relationships. He doesn't stop loving us. And that's what the song is about. It's about the world may see God's love for us as quote-unquote irresponsible, but I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that he has always, always shown up for me in Brooklyn, even if I didn't deserve it. If anyone doesn't deserve it, he's still always there. And that's what I love about this song. And you're getting some head nods from Brooklyn here. Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah, to her. It's a good one. Um, thank you guys for coming on and, and sharing your story with us and being here. Um, invite you to give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world... Uh, judges us, finds this, how you can help us share the message of hope. Um, if you are need, in need of help, uh, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. We are um, a 501c3 nonprofit and um, receive donations to create scholarships for things like uh, boot camp, which gets talked a lot about here, um, other resources, online resources, different things like that. Um, Follow us on social media at Unashamed and Afraid. And if you'd like to join us in the bonus content with Matthew and Brooklyn and Christopher, uh, and Stephen here, um, you can uh, donate and become one of our outsiders. It happens at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And so I uh, invite you to join us in the bonus content. If that's not happening, we invite you to continue until we meet again. Be unashamed. I just want to say I'm hopeless without you. I've searched far and wide to find that it doesn't get any better than this And I just wanna say I'm sorry for running in circles with my sin shame When you told me to run to your
desire is to feed the fire of the evil liar in me. I don't wanna see Messiah, I just bleed till I'm weak and tired. Steaming high in the deepest fire, and I'm reaching wider just to be admired by the people higher than me. But somehow you reacquire and inspire my soul. I see the choir and I'm lighting up. Oh, I'm peddling. I get too comfortable, that's when I'm settling. Really, the medicine. There's no one our weaknesses, right where he medicine. I'm so good at meddling in my sins. Should win the meddling in holy water kettle with it. We've been filling up our pockets with the lettuce and relish, but still you let us relish in you. I've been in a mix with evil. I don't know why I feel I gotta get deceitful just to get the seats full. Compromising for a million views, pitiful, minuscule. I walk from Texas to Tennessee and burn a hole in my tennis shoe. Just to run for your love, but you still hurt me down like it's ten of you. Break me down in the loop. I need the wisdom of Solomon, Timothy, Paul, and the prophet just to get to the altar and sit to the heart of my calling. I've been spending my time to resemble the heart of my father. But it's getting harder with this armor So I build walls to keep you out But you fear no obstacle Your love for me puts you to death And that's so irresponsible I just wanna say That I'm